19th chapter of the book of Genesis. Praise the Lord. Amen. We see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment of God upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham has interceded before the Lord concerning his family, concerning Lot, concerning those that are in Sodom and Gomorrah. He went all the way down to 10 and asked the Lord if there were only 10, if he would spare Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord agreed to that. But if there were only 10 righteous in that city, he would spare the whole city. And there was not even ten righteous in that city. So God's judgment is going to fall upon it. And that brings us to the 19th chapter. Verse 1. There came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Behold now, my lords, turn and I pray you into your servant's house, and tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your ways and they said nay but we will abide in the street all night he pressed upon them greatly they turned in unto him entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat but before they lay down the men of the city even the men of Sodom to pass the house round both old and young all people from every quarter called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And I said, Pray, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For there came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came into the sojourn, and he will needs be a judge, or he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? They pressed sore upon the man. Even Lot came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Let's go to verse 23. The sun was risen upon the earth, and Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for the inspiration of your spirit, the anointing of your spirit. God, we thank you for your word today. Help us, God, to turn unto you with all of our heart, soul, and strength. We thank you, Lord God, for your help in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right here, thank you, honey. I'm just going to take a little bit out of the triple. Okay. Maybe just give me a little touch of base. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. 
All right, we look at this and we see the Bible says the two angels uh, go to Sodom. Of course, we know in the previous chapter that the Lord and these two angels appeared unto Abraham in the heat of the day, which is about 12 o'clock. The Lord stands with Abraham away from Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham has interceded before the Lord uh, concerning this place. And now we see those two angels uh, going into Sodom. Notice that the Lord is not staying or going into Sodom. He's staying with Abraham at the time. So only the two angels go into Sodom and they go in at even. Thanks, brother. That sounds great. Uh, notice the difference here. 18.1, the Bible says, The Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. He said in the tent door in the heat of the day. So that's about 12 o'clock. So a little bit later on in the evening, the two angels make their way to Sodom to do an inspection concerning the city. And the Bible says when they get there, guess who's sitting in the gate? Lot is sitting in the gate. Now that's significant because as we look at the gate here, gate obviously is speaking of what? Entrance, correct. Say entrance. Okay. Well, these cities in that culture in that time had walls around them. So you'd have to walk up to a gate and you'd have to enter in through these gates, all right, in order to get into the city. So Lot is sitting in the gate. That's the place of entrance, but it's also a place of position. This is where the judges would meet and they would pass judgment on various subjects that would come to them in the, the town, so the courthouse, okay? So when we see Lot here, he is not only living in Sodom and Gomorrah now, remember he was delivered by Abraham when that battle, that invasion took place in the 14th chapter, but now he's made his way back into Sodom, and he is not only just living in Sodom, but now he has a position in Sodom and Gomorrah a high-ranking official in this city. So when we look at it, uh, look at the Word of God, it's important that for us to get these keys. When it says Lot set in the gate of Sodom, it's not that he's just there waiting around. He's in a position of authority and a position as a judge there in Sodom. All right? Now, the Bible tells us that he meets with these two angels, and when he comes in contact with them, he bows himself to the ground, his face to the ground. This is just a, a matter of courtesy. This is what they do in the Middle East, all right? Everybody would do this. Lot would do this, okay? Anybody in the Middle East would show courtesy here to these guests. He bows his face toward the ground uh, to these angels. In verse 2, he said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, uh, into your servant's house and tarry all night. Again, this is just a cultural thing. Middle Eastern culture, uh, you've got somebody that's come to visit you, you invite them into your house, and you take good care of them. In fact, if they enter into your house, they are so important as a guest. They are more important than everybody else in the house. They are more important than any family members that would be in the house. This is the way the hospitality is in the Middle East. They put a very high priority on guests that enter into their house, all right? That's the way that culture is. So when these guests arrive there in Sodom and Gomorrah, we see Lot inviting them into his house to stay with him overnight. Now the angels deny that request. Unlike with Abraham, when Abraham asked the angels, you know, you remember this? If you go back to the 18th chapter, look at it. 
In verse 3, he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away. I pray thee from thy servant, let a little water, I pray thee, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourself under the tree, and so on and so forth. And then verse 5, he says, I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. But when Lot invites the angels into his house, they say no. They request denied. They say, we're going to stay all night in the streets. Now, obviously, Lot knows how wicked, how evil, how sinful that city is. That there is homosexuality, which we get the term sodomy from. Okay, Really, homosexuality is sodomy. It is rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. So this obviously is a very wicked city because there's not even 10 people there that are righteous. And this is a very large city, by the way. This is not a small little town. This is a very large city. It's got walls, okay? It is a huge city, um, but it is full of iniquity. It is full of sin. It's full of sodomy. It's full of homosexuality. And so when these angels say, well, we're just going to stay in the streets throughout the night, Lot, knowing how wicked that city is, presses on them earnestly not to do that. So he continues to press on them earnestly to stay with him, and they give in finally to that request as a result of Lot's earnestness. Okay, you with me here? Now, obviously, there's a little principle here we can get gleaned from that is this. If you're going to receive any type of heavenly visitation or heavenly blessings from God, there has to be earnestness on our part. Now, Abraham, before we saw Abraham throughout the whole process, he would, he would run, he would make haste, he would quicken his wife to prepare the meal. There was a lot of earnestness in Abraham's life. He was a very spiritual man, a very godly man. He was full of zeal for the things of God, all right? When we look at Lot, he also has a measure of earnestness, but I think his measure of earnestness is seeking just to protect these men from being out there in the streets because he knows how bad it is. Rather than so much wanting them to be with him or wanting to fellowship with the angels of the Lord, to me it's more of just a cultural type of setting where he's trying to show hospitality to these visitors, okay? Because that's the way they think. That's the way they look at in the culture. I think personally that Lot would rather have people around him like Sodomites in Sodom and Gomorrah, although his spirit is, is vexed by the filthy conversation of these people, as Peter says, he still likes the company of these people because he's living there. Does that make sense? So when these angels come then, he invites them in, but it's more of a courtesy thing, I think, with Lot. He would rather fellowship with the men of Sodom than he would with the angels of the Lord. Okay? Lot is a very worldly Christian. He is saved, but barely. <laughs> I mean barely saved. He's, the Bible talks about if the righteous scarcely be saved, he's scarcely going to be saved. So this man is a saved man, but he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's in a position of authority now. When these angels come to him, again, I think it's just out of courtesy. He wants them to stay because he knows how wicked the city is. But at the same time, I think, and I base that on the scripture, he would rather be in the environment of Sodom and Gomorrah because he's living there, okay? 
rather than to have these angels fellowshipping with him, he would rather fellowship with the people that are in the world. So really, Lot, um, he's not where he needs to be. He's very worldly, okay? He's very carnal. You understand what, what the pastor's saying here today? He's in a position now in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's got all kinds of sin and sexuality, homosexuality around him. It's a very bad, bad situation. The judgment of God is fixing to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah, all right? And Lot is barely going to be saved. I mean, he's scarcely going to be saved. And in fact, he is so carnal and so worldly that after the angels declared to him the judgment of God is fixing to call, come on that place, he lingers in the city. And they literally have to drag him out by the hand to get him out of that place. Okay? So he is so rooted down that even though the judgment of God uh, is declared to him that this is going to happen, he doesn't want to leave. So this man is in bad shape spiritually. Bad shape. Okay? So he's hunkered down in Sodom and Gomorrah, but out of courtesy, he just he's inviting these angels to come in, so on and so forth. So you kind of get an idea of where, where Lot is on everything. Now the Bible says, verse 3, his earnestness, he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and they entered into his house. He made them a feast, and they baked unleavened bread, and they did eat. So he is successful in convincing them to come into his house. All right? Now, the Bible tells us in verse 4, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, passed the house around both old and young, all the people from every quarter. So the news came very rapidly. It moved throughout the city that there's two men in this house with Lot. And these men are so perverse, the Bible says it's not just the young men, but it's the old men as well. The old men and the young men they surround this house of Lot so that, that uh, there can be no escape. You see that? Are you with me here? Now, what's the big deal with that? All right, let's go to the book of Jude and we'll see what kind of people they are. Verse 7 of the book of Jude, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. All right? They're full of fornication. And the Bible says they're going after strange flesh. That's homosexuality. So not only is there fornication in the city, but there is this pursuit for strange flesh, homosexuality. Uh, the Bible says, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay. So the destruction of God is going to come upon this city, Jude says, particularly because of the fornication that's in that city and because of the homosexuality that is in that city. So when these men, old and young, as the Bible says, not just young men, I want you to see that. He says the old men and the young men, they are gathered around the house of Lot. They've surrounded it. They've compassed it about so these men can't get out. Now, why are they doing this? The Bible says, they said, we want to know them. Now, the word know in the text, and I'll read it to you. You with me here? Verse 5, they called unto Lot and said unto him, we, 
are men, or where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know thee. They are so wicked and so evil uh, and, and so driven by their homosexuality. They wanted to know or have sexual relationships with the angels of God. They wanted to commit homosexual acts with these men that are in the house of Lot because the word know doesn't mean get acquainted. The word know means an intimate sexual relationship. That's wicked. All right? So they are so wicked. As soon as they find out there's new flesh in the city, there's, there's, new, there's visitors. These men are in the city. They are so perverted and so under the control of their sexual, their homosexuality and their perversity that they want this new flesh that has come into the city. Okay? They want to know them. They want to have homosexual relationships with the angels of the Lord. That is how wicked these people are. Okay? Now, Notice what Lot does. This is interesting, his response. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. So you get the picture. He's, at, he's left his house. He's outside. Now he shut the door behind him. You with me? And the Bible says, and here's what he says, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Now, there's a problem here. When, when a man can look at the homosexuals that have compassed his, his house about, try to keep the angels of God from escaping out or for whatever, so that they can have homosexual relationships with them. When you walk out of your house and you call them brethren, what you have just done is you have given dishonorable people an honorable title. You see, and, and this is what happened. The problem with Lot's approach is he's trying to placate the situation. He's trying to pacify the situation so that he is so backslidden and so worldly that he calls homosexuals brethren. Okay? So that he is in a state here where he's trying to calm the situation down. Uh, and so he uses terms, you know, polite terms to try to calm the situation down to try to placate the situation he calls them brethren now that is sad isn't it so he's using an honorable term for dishonorable people and it's not going to work see he wants to use terms that kind of calm the situation down you know uh, to keep them from committing this horrible sin but it does not succeed okay you understand what I'm saying? So what does he do? He calls them brethren. Not going to work. Using these soft terms. All right, you with me here? And then verse 8, look at the low place he goes. He says, Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. Okay? So he's going to try to go further in the situation. He's going to try to pacify these men of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's already called them brethren, an honorable term for dishonorable people. Okay? You're going to see that that's, that's not going to work. All right? He's, to me, he's sort of like a politician. He's sort of like the politicians we have in America today. 
They want to placate and pacify everything. So they're real careful with terms. They don't want to address wickedness for what it is. And I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't work. For you to use terms, you watch your speech so carefully, okay? You use honorable terms for dishonorable people thinking that it's going to pacify the situation. It doesn't work. That didn't work for Lot. Now, he is so low, he's willing. Can you imagine this? To surrender his two daughters, he says, that have not known man. Now, there are two daughters. The Bible says they are married. This is interesting to me. Are they the same two daughters or not? Because there's two daughters. He has sons-in-law. He has two sons-in-laws. And the Bible will be very clear on this. So that means there's two sons-in-laws that have married two of his daughters. But the Bible says these daughters have not known men. So I don't know if it's the same daughters or not. The Bible doesn't tell me. But he is willing to surrender his own daughters to these wicked men in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you understand what he's doing here? He's signing basically their death certificate. We, we see in the book of Judges where homosexuals do perverted things. I mean, and it, it was so bad. You can go and look at the latter part of the book of Judges. They, they kill a woman, you know, it, it just, just and, and, and she got cut up into pieces and it went throughout this just confusion in the land of Israel and this prostitute's cut up and just spread throughout, you know, the land, so on and so forth. It just shows you what kind of people we're dealing with here that if he would have surrendered his daughters to these wicked men, they would have killed them. They would have raped them and they would have killed them. But Lot is in a place in his life where he's willing to sacrifice his own daughters to protect the men that are in his house. And again, it's a cultural thing. It shows you how, how important hospitality was to those people. They would be willing to sacrifice family members to protect those that were in their house. So I get that. I understand that cultural hospitality. But these are your children. These are your daughters. And you want to turn them over to a bunch of perverts, a bunch of sexual perverts, and, and basically, you're, you're turning them out to death. So you can see where his, Lot's mind is not where it needs to be. Obviously, he, he's so carnal, so worldly minded, he's not making good decisions because he's trying to protect the angels. He's trying to cover them. But in covering them or protecting them, he's putting other people in harm's way. When you, get, when you get a person that is a carnal Christian, carnal thinking, they will seek to protect unrighteous situations, sinful situations, and in protecting those sinful situations, they fail to understand that they are harming other people by doing it. You know? So he sounds, he sounds real, you know, I don't know, hospitable, you know? He sounds like he wants to protect these men. And I believe he's sincere, right? But in protecting them, he's going to destroy his own children. You see? So he, he's really, he's confused. He's, he's worldly. He's carnal. He's, you know, he's not thinking right. Okay? 
to protect them and do harm to other people is not the approach. So he's, he's just missing it on more than one level. He's missing it on the fact that he's calling these people, brothers, an honorable term, with you with me, for dishonorable people. Trying to calm it down and pacify it down. Then he takes the next approach. I'm going to protect these men. I'm going to cover these men, but I'm going to do it at the expense of hurting somebody else. It's not going to work, Bob. Okay? Carnal. I, I think he'd make a good psychologist. But he's as carnal as he could possibly be. He'd be willing to give up his own daughters. Yeah. Okay, you with me here? I don't think these men need to be protected by law. And we're going to find that out in just a minute. They, they're, they're, they're perfectly fine in protecting themselves. But I'm just trying to show you the man. And again, I, I get it. I understand the hospitality of that culture. But still, you need to understand where, where the Bible's coming from here. He's trying to protect somebody at the expense of somebody else. They're doing harm to somebody else. You never take that approach. Okay? It's going to work. It grieves the spirit of the Lord. For people, he's already compromised. Lot is already compromised. He's a compromised his relationship with God. We will see as we go through this, and, and, and this is one example. He's compromised his relationship with his family. He's compromised his relationship with his wife. Okay? And he is completely confused in his approach with me here? Okay? Calling them brethren. Wicked people brethren. And and then willing to turn over his daughters to these wicked people. So he's not doing very well. Now, the Bible says, uh, verse 9, and they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door down. Now look at this. They are so persistent in their homosexuality that they tell Lot, you stand back. And they start pressing on Lot. You know, and it, it's the same old story. Homosexuals, stand up and they try to fight for their homosexual rights okay and they talk about how that they are not being treated properly you know and that they have rights to so on and so forth but in the process of declaring that they deserve rights which biblically they don't but the point being in the process of declaring you know, we want our rights as homosexuals. And I'm not going to call them gay. I'm going to call them what the Bible calls them, homosexuals or sodomites. So in the process of them wanting their homosexual rights, did you notice? They're willing to take other people's rights away. Because Lot, he has rights. Does he not? Well, look. All right, so these homosexuals say, stand back. They start pressing on the door. So they're violating the rights of Lot. 
Do you get that? By being persistent to have what they want. And that's the way it is. The sinful um, man, the fallen nature of man, they'll talk all day long about, you know, we need our rights, but in the process, trample on everybody else's rights. Okay? You hear me? So these homosexuals tell him, stand back, press on him. I mean, they're just not going to give up. They've already surrounded his house so that, that, you know, the people cannot escape out of the house. So they are they not limiting the rights of that man? Well, at the same time saying, we want what we want. See, it, it's a mess. Okay. But it's the same approach that people have today. You with me? Okay. Now the Bible goes on and says this in verse 10. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot in the house to them and shut the door. Now who are the men? The two men, the two angels, right? Pull Lot into the house, shut the door, and they smite those men with blindness. Are you with me? Now we already preached this. Okay, Sunday night we talked about how uh, Elisha, we titled Elisha's host. Elisha prayed, you know, for the men to see that they that be with us are more than they that be with them. We saw Elisha prayed that God would smite that host of Syrians that were coming to capture him with blindness. The word blindness does it not mean total absence of sight. The word blindness means confused sight. This is the only other place in the Old Testament that the word blind is used for that, other than Elisha's blindness, the blindness that he prayed for that came upon the host. It doesn't mean an absence of sight. It means confusion. Okay? So it is a blindness that comes on them, but this blindness is not a complete total loss of sight. They are confused, and they are so confused that they... You know, they're trying to find the door, but they can't just make a distinction of the door. They can't find the door because of the blindness. But it's not total absence of sight, okay? You can imagine these angels of the Lord smiting these men, young and old men, homosexuals, that want to take these men and have some homosexual relationship with them. They're fixing to tear a lot in pieces. And so these two angels smite them with this confused, this cloud, this confusion that comes on them. And so they're just groping, you know. And a long time ago when I was young, I saw a movie about this. And I thought the people that produced it did a really good job. Because they produced it in a way that showed you just the vileness and the wickedness and the depraved condition of that culture. And then when these angels smote them with blindness, you know, you could see them. They were groping around, all of them, all these men in the city just groping around. I mean, it was, you could tell, it was just full darkness and confusion. I thought they did a really good job. I'll never forget it. But that's what happens here. They are smitten with blindness, and so they're groping, you know, and, and they can't, it's not total blindness, but they're confused, okay? They still are today. Y'all agree with that? See, and we, we preached a little bit about this Sunday night, but the sinner is this way. They're confused. They're in darkness, okay? 
and these men here are literally confused literally in darkness here and that's that again that's where the homosexual culture is today and I don't have any problem nobody can stop me from preaching this nobody gonna stop me from preaching this this is in the Bible this is the way God looks at it okay if it offends you, then you offend God. Because this lifestyle, this lifestyle offends God Almighty. And you can't placate it. You can't pacify it. You can't put pretty terms on it. You can't describe it in pretty terms. It is what it is. You can't call it gay. you got to call it what it is. It's a very perverted, perverted lifestyle. And I'm not going to get into the details. But if you, were, if, you, if you were to know what these men do to each other, it would make you sick. It is sick. Okay? So don't try to put pretty terms on it, gloss it over, you know, make it acceptable. It is an immoral, God says in Leviticus, it's an abomination to Him. It's something that He hates that will bring the judgment of God upon a person or a culture that practices it. And so these people today that are involved in that kind of lifestyle, can they be saved? Yes, they can be saved. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 talks about people that used to live this type of lifestyle that got converted by the gospel so they can be saved. Okay? But they're not saved in this passage. They are very ungodly and they are full of darkness and they're just groping around. So there's a judgment of God that's come upon them. And that judgment of God that's come upon them is a blindness, a confusion. The homosexual community today is confused, to say the least. It is a confused lifestyle. They are a confused people. Do you understand that? So what we see here in the passage is the same thing that's in the homosexual community today. Total confusion. Yeah. Now the Bible says, so they're smitten. They can't find the door. And verse 12 the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons? Look at this. So Lot has what? He's got it. Son-in-law, sons, daughters, him and his wife. So we've already talked about that. There's possibly ten people in Lot's family here. Okay? Now, the scripture says, these angels ask, Is there anybody else... Uh, here beside these you with me and whatsoever thou hast in the city bring them out of this place they got a command okay get out of the city okay God's fixing to judge this place so get out of the city now listen you would think that as soon as Lot received this instruction that you know He's going to obey. He's going to declare that message of judgment to his family members. But we're going to see as we progressively go through the chapter that once that message is delivered, you would think that the man Lot himself would be ready to get out of that place. I mean, if you knew that God was fixing to judge Odessa, Texas with fire and brimstone, liquid fire, and there were angels of God that came to this city and declare to this city that God is fixing to judge this city with liquid fire because of the, the gross immorality and sin that is there. Uh, 
don't you think that you would be getting packing up and getting out? Okay? We're going to see, the Bible says Lot lingers. He has to be drug out of the place. But in the meantime, notice what he does. He does obey these angels and he declares this message of judgment to his family members. Okay? But the message that he preaches to his family members, they do not respond to that message. The Bible says concerning his sons-in-laws, they, that Lot appeared to them as one that mocked. Okay? So what we have is a man who, at this point, he's lost his family. There's something wrong in this man's family. There's something wrong in this man's home. Because when he testifies to his family members, you with me? They do not receive the message. He's lost his testimony to his family. I believe now, and, and I know what the Bible says in the book of Peter, in 2 Peter. The Bible says Lot was a righteous man. Okay? But when we look at Lot and the way he's responding to the overall situation, trying to pacify the situation, using honorable terms to dishonorable men, wanting to turn on it, turn his own, his own daughters out into the street with these men so they could violate him. You understand? It is such a vile situation. The angels of the Lord have to smite them with blindness. And then they declare that God's going to judge uh, this city. And so Lot begins to preach. He begins to tell his family members. Now notice in verse 13, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So God sent these angels. They are delegates, delegates from God. They have the authority from God as angels of God to destroy this city. Okay? Now, Lot knows by the revelation of these angels that Sodom is fixing to be destroyed. And we will see it as we go through progressively the chapter. Everything's going to burn up. All human flesh, every building in that place, all the vegetation that grows from the ground, everything is fixing to be completely destroyed by fire and brimstone. Liquid fire is going to wipe out everything. And these angels have declared this to Lot. Now Lot, notice what he does. The Bible says, and Lot went out in verse 14. He spake unto his sons-in-law. You see that? So that we got a plural term here, sons-in-law. That means that we have uh, two daughters that are married. Now, the Bible says, So he speaks to his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons. There is a problem. Number one, there's two reasons why I believe that his family members mocked what he said. Number one, I believe they mocked what he said because he had lost his testimony. That he, that he was so worldly, so carnal in Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? 
And we already get the hints of it. We already see his bad decisions. Because his walk with God is not what it should be. When he starts preaching to others, people don't want to listen to him. See, his own family won't listen to this man preach. He's got a message of judgment that has come from God and by the grace of God, only by the grace of God, and by the prayers of Abraham, is this man going to be delivered? You understand? Because Abraham prayed for the man. If Abraham wouldn't have prayed for Lot and his family, I promise you, the Bible's very clear on this. This man would not have been saved. He would have been destroyed in this destruction. But it was the grace of God, it was the prayers of his uncle Abraham that, that God answered to bring him out by mercy and grace. But this man, his walk, his relationship with God, his relationship with his children, his relationship with his wife, we will see, has been destroyed by him. So that when he starts preaching to his family and testifying to his family, they look at him as one that, that mocks. What are you talking about, Abraham? We don't believe you what you're saying. You understand? So the man has lost his testimony with his family. Now, you know, we talk about going on the mission field and, and doing things. Well, let me just say this. The only way I'm going to go on the mission field is I, I know God is sending me. I'm not looking to go anywhere. If God's sending me, I'm going to go. But the, the thing that we have to understand is the first important place for us to witness is our own homes. You see, and if you lose your kids and you lose your wife and you lose those relationships because of your carnality and your refusal to walk with God, you know, you, what good is it to go to the mission field if you lose your family? So God is showing you the importance that, that he puts upon uh, the family. But he's warning to Lot so Lot can warn his family, but Lot because of his condition spiritually, is no longer affected. See, that's a dangerous thing, you know. If, if I, praise the Lord, I could preach to you, I can go to the mission field. But if I lose my children, what do I do? This man has lost his testimony. He's, he, you know, he's one that, to them that is, that, that, is mocking, all right? Number one, Lot's condition. Number two, their condition. Okay, we just can't just blame it all on Lot. It's partially his problem, okay? But it's their problem because when he preached to them and give them this message, even though he is not where he should be in his relationship with God, with his relationship with his wife, with his relationship with his kids. Amen? Even though he's not where he should be, he's still got a message that came from God that judgment's coming. And the fact that these sons-in-laws will not listen to him when he preaches, number one, it is about his condition, but it's also about their condition. It tells you that the sinner does not like a message of judgment. And, and they don't respond favorably to a message of judgment. 
okay? And, and I would say for the most part, unless you're really walking close with God, you don't like messages. I don't necessarily like to preach messages of judgment, but I'm going to respond to a message of judgment. But the sinner doesn't like messages of judgment. They're so hard-hearted that you preach them a message of judgment and they mock that message sometimes not because of the messenger but because of the hardness of their own heart. You just can't get through to it. Amen. So there's problems in Lot's family. There's problems in his home. Do you get that? So that his testimony is mocked by his own uh, family members. Okay. They refuse to respond to what he's saying because number one, they can look at the way he lives. He's a hypocrite. Number two, the hardness of their own heart. They refuse to respond to the message, if you will, of their daddy. You understand that? See, it's a, it's a horrible situation to be in. That's why it's important. If for no other reason, and I've preached this to you before, if for no other reason, brothers and sisters, that you as a mother or a father, okay, husband or a wife, that you live a godly wife, a godly life that is an example to your household. So that in eternity, nobody can point a finger at you and say, because of the way you live, you lost your testimony. And when your kids watched you at home, or they watched you at church. They went away from that experience saying, there's nothing to it. Are you here? Now you can be on fire in the church, on fire for God at home, living the way you need to live at home and living the way you need to live in the church. And you are a godly example. And I thank God for those of you here today that are like that, that are godly, that are on fire for God. But let it not be said of me or let it not be said of you that your family is going to be lost because you live two lifestyles. You live one way at home, you live another way at church, and in some cases you don't live it either way. In some cases you're not at fire, on fire with God at home and you're not at fire, in fire with God at the church. You know, you just become passive and what will be will be you stop fighting the good fight of faith and you become religious and you're a good church member, but that's not enough. When my family looks at me, when they should see, you, you with me here? They should see me godly living for the Lord at home. Everywhere I go, they should see it demonstrated there in my house. They should see it demonstrated in the church. They should not see a, a bunch of hypocrisy from me. They shouldn't see a double life. Amen. All right. So if you got that taken care of, praise the Lord, church. If you got that taken care of, and you as a as a husband, wife, mother, father, you have it together spiritually. 
and you're walking with the Lord and you're responding to the Word of God that's preached and you're on fire in the church and on fire at the workplace and on fire at your home. Lord bless you. Because you still may lose your kids. There's no guarantee. We see in the Bible talks about even in the future kingdom age that godly parents entered into the kingdom and gave birth to children. Those children grew up in rebellion against God Almighty. So I'm just going to tell you there's no guarantee if you're the most godly individual in the church and most committed and dedicated and you live it. You live the life. No hypocrisy. There's still no guarantee that your kids are going to be saved. But if they see hypocrisy in the parents, they don't want what you got. So what I'm saying to you, church, is this, is I need to be living as a, a husband and a wife and a father before my children, not just a preacher or a pastor before you, in such a way that I'm going to influence my children, that when I speak to them, when I... You know, talk to them about the things of God. Amen? They're going to listen. They're going to respond to it. Are you here? And if they don't, again, don't let it be because of the inconsistency that's in my life. You understand? God, help me today. It is so important for us. Our kids are watching us. My kids are watching me. My son-in-law's watching me. Amen? My family's watching me. Um, it's important that my testimony's still alive. Amen? So Lot has lost his testimony. I'm going to say it again. I really believe he's lost his relationship with God. Not totally, but you understand what I mean. Lost his relationship with his family, his kids, his sons-in-laws. His influence is no longer there. They look, they just laugh at him. <laughs> you know. And they're just so hard-hearted. They have an opportunity to be right with God. But they're so hard-hearted, they don't respond. It's not enough for us just to be religious. It's not enough for us to come and sit on a church pew and say, okay, well, we went to church today. That's not enough. They can't just see me live it on a Sunday. They can't just see me live it on a Wednesday. They got to see me live it Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They got to see me living it. They can't see me compromising with the world. They got to see me. Be taking a stand against wrong and, and taking a stand for what is right. And amen. And, and remember, help me. I, I'm, but you'll meet, remember Abraham. The Bible says one of the things that qualified Abraham for receiving the secret of the Lord about his destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the things that qualified Abraham, number one, his influence was going to be over the nations. Number two, he would command his children before the Lord. Amen? And that's what qualified Abraham to get the secret from the Lord, his influence and his relationship over his family, that he would command his children. 
in the ways of God. So in contrast to Lot, Lot comes along, he's lost his influence. He's lost his ability to command his children in the ways of God. It's no longer there. Amen? And, and you can't, I'm just trying to show you, church. You can't look at this situation and say, the family's okay. Are you kidding me? The family's not okay. Are you kidding me? Something's off here. Something's wrong with the family. Something's wrong with this man. Something's wrong with his testimony. It's not all right. You understand that? If you're doing everything you can, this is not a message to condemn you. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just telling you, friend, we are not called to go down to their level. We are called to bring them up to our level. We are not called to compromise with their ungodly lifestyle. We're supposed to be so on fire and so godly and so righteous of God, not self-righteousness, that we're influencing our children, our homes, our wives, and our husbands. You know, in some cases, we want to point a finger, right? Play the blame thing. They're evil. There's two sides to this thing. You know? And uh, judgment day is real. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to stand before God too. You too. Everybody here in the church, if you make it, is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be, what's real is going to be made known there. We can point a finger all day long about how evil they are. But what about the decisions that I made? What about the decisions that you made? Hallelujah. Why don't you own some of the responsibility for yourself? And if you have, God bless you because that's being honest. That's being real. It, it's not living in denial. We got so many people in the church living in denial. It's not all right. There's something wrong. And it may be that they are evil in some cases. But you and I have to examine our own life and our own self. God, is did I do something? Did I say something? Did, am I living in a way that, that is not honoring to you, God? It, it, you know, you have to do that. You have to get real. You cannot live in denial. And that's where we live. We live in a cultural culture of denial. We're under a president that lives in denial. They won't call things what they are, puts pretty terms on them to placate or pacify the situation, wants to act like everything's okay, it's not really a big deal, it's not existential, they say, which means it's not going to wipe the whole world out. Are you kidding me? There's never been a time in history that it was existential, wipe the whole world out kind of a thing. But that's the terms that people are using. They use these big terms, you know, to try to make it look like it's really not that bad. I'm telling you, people are living in denial. They're living in denial in our government. They're living in denial in the church house. It's time for us to stop living in denial. Look at it for what it is. It's real. Okay? We gotta stop it. We got to examine right now as a church 
We have to examine ourselves. We have to examine our families. We have to examine, hallelujah, our children. We have to command them in the ways of God now. And we have to be living it, not just talking it. Somebody give the Lord praise. And if you're doing that, if you're doing that, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Because you're doing everything you can do. Amen. But you have to look at it for what it is. You have to look at it for reality. Okay? I give Lot credit. At least Lot had enough. When God gave him the warning, at least he had enough understanding to tell him judgment's coming on this city. At least he had that much obedience in him. How many parents today, they quit fighting? They stop talking to their kids that are backsliding the world on their way to hell. It's not all right. And, and again, I'm not indicting you. If you are the person that's taking a stand for what's right, standing against, against evil, and you are telling your children who are out of God or your family members, doesn't just have to be children, family members as a, as a whole, the judgment of God is coming on your lifestyle. If you're doing that, God bless you. But if you have stopped doing that, you are walking in a place that's not real. So I'll give the man credit. You know, he tried to pacify the situation and calm it down by using, you know, pleasant terms and tried to appease the men by giving him, giving them his daughters. I'll, I'll give it to him. He, he's kind of learning here as he goes that it didn't work. So when he gets a message, thank God at least he had enough God to tell him the truth. He could be so backslide. He said, I don't want to preach a message of judgment to my family. You get to that place where you no longer preach a message of judgment to those that are in the world. You get to that place, you are really backslide. Man's already got problems, but at least he can deliver still a message of judgment. I give him that credit. Hallelujah to the Lamb. How many of believe the word of the Lord today? Judgment's coming. It's coming. But they seemed as one that mocked. He seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. That is so sad. Now, I'll tell you why it's sad. You just say it's so sad. Why is it so sad? Because the next morning, they're dead. Because they won't listen and prepare themselves to get out of this place that's fixing to be judged by God. They have the warning. But the next morning when God rains down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah, do you understand these very people that did not respond to the message? They were not interested. The disinterested people, those who do not respond to the message, it's real clear by the word of the Lord. The next morning when God rained down fire and brimstone upon them, they were dead. See, disinterested people People who are no longer interested in the things of God, people who no longer respond to the Word of God, are the people that will experience eternal judgment. 
you know. So I, I'm just going to say this. If you can live with it and it not bother you that your family members are under the judgment of God and they're fixing in some cases are going to die and go to hell and it doesn't bother you I, I'm going to be honest with you friend I'll check out with you right there because I do not understand that philosophy because until mine made it back I lived in day and night torment I lived in day and night prayer and intercession and day and night decisions that would not pacify or placate the situation or compromise. Because I, in, in my mind, I know where they were. And they might have to experience some discomfort in this life, but if it brings them back to God and they end up in a heaven, hallelujah, give God some praise in the house. I'd, I'd rather wade through all kinds of pain and suffering in this life and make it to heaven any day. You understand what I'm trying to say? So I, I never got to a place where it was okay. I never got to a place. Never. Never. Because it wasn't okay. I never got to a place of self-denial. They're on their way to hell if they don't repent. And you can't get, allow yourself to get to a place where you can look at people in your family and you know they're dying and going to hell and you don't care anymore and it's not a big deal. Somebody say praise the Lord. I thank God today. God won. God won. God won. I give Him all the glory. God won. But the, but the thing we have to realize is that we haven't made it yet. I haven't made it. My wife hasn't made it. My daughter hasn't made it. My son-in-law hasn't made it. Jeremiah hasn't made it into heaven yet. It's real. And I'm not going to walk around and act like it's all right. When I get to heaven, then I'll rest. When I get to heaven and you get to heaven and you see your family there, then you can say it's all right. But until they get there, until I get there, it's not all right, my friend. And it's not all right if they get religious and go to church somewhere. Are they a child of God? You say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just hoping that they progressively come to God. It'll never happen. Never. Because they'll be placated and pacified. In that church, and they'll be made to feel like everything's okay, and there's no need for you to do anything else. In that comfort zone, they find themselves here. That's where the flesh will go. That's where it wants to go. That's where it wants to be. They got to see you shaking. They got to see it in your eyes. They got to hear it in your voice. They, they got to see an earnestness in you. Hallelujah! This is real stuff. This is real business. Hallelujah. They can't, listen to me, I love every one of you. I love every one of you, but they can't see you in denial. They can't see you kick back and passive 
in your relationship with God, they got to see you on fire. They got to see you pressing. They got to see you making haste. They got to see you living for God with a zeal and a commitment. And somebody says, I don't like how you're making me feel. I can't make you feel anything. But this man, my friend, Lot, he leaves Sodom and Gomorrah. All he has is his wife and his two daughters. God rained down fire and brimstone on that city. And these sons-in-law that he preached to the evening before Pastor, well, how do you expect us to live? Do you expect us to live in torment? I want to tell you something. If I have family members coming in to my immediate family that are lost, I'm willing to live in torment. There's an old preacher named Brother Kilgore. I believe he's gone on to be with the Lord. I heard him preach years and years ago. He wanted revival so bad, he went up in a hot attic. It was very hot, hot attic. He, he preached in Houston, Texas for years and years and years. They had tremendous revival. Listen to me. That man of God wanted revival so bad, he went up in a hot attic so he could sort of be in touch with the, in a small way, the fires of hell. He prayed there for hours in that hot attic seeking God for revival for that church allowing his body to experience great discomfort he came down out of that attic he went to the pulpit and he preached and he had such a powerful move of God but listen to me such a powerful move of God in that service because of the conviction that was in that man such a powerful move of God people took off their jewelry as the offering plates went by, took off their jewelry and surrendered to God as a token and a symbol that we're going to walk with God in holiness. See, we want to we want to stay comfortable, and I'm not telling any of you to do that kind of thing because I don't want to get a call from the ambulance you know, to the hospital or you're rehydrated and all of that. You gotta know if it's from God, but I'm gonna tell you something. It's not time to be comfortable. It's time to get in a place where if your flesh, my flesh is just is not comfortable for a period of time, if that means my family's gonna be saved, if that means we're gonna have revival in Odessa, Texas, then we need to be willing to pay the price. When you study, you look through history, you see the men, men of God who had conviction. When they stood up, they had conviction. When they preached, people were moved because of the conviction that was in those men. They never got to a place where it's okay. Conviction. And revival came. These young men, these sons-in-law, are dead by brimstone. They're burned up by fire, brother. He, Sodom and Gomorrah was a real place. 
there was hundreds of thousands of people there that burned up in that fire. Do you understand? That includes children, old men, young men, all the buildings, all everything that did the next morning. Disinterested, unresponsive. They said, Well, I was hoping that because Lot was an older man and Lot was saved, that he automatically covered the rest of his family. By the Bible, it didn't happen. Just because Lot was saved didn't make the rest of his family. We don't like to be uncomfortable, do we? I don't like to be uncomfortable. How many of you like to suffer? I don't like to suffer. Anybody here like to suffer? I don't like to suffer. Mm-hmm. My flesh doesn't like to suffer. My flesh wants to eat away. Living for God and making it to heaven is not easy for me. It's not an easy day. You gotta be willing to suffer. That makes sense. person that you're trying to, you know, shake you up just in a, on a fleshly way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm praying God today to touch your heart. I'm praying God today to touch this church. Well, you just telling me about a pastor, teenage son, to a place called his father passed high and long ago. His pastor's father gave in. Said, all right, you stay home. On the way to church, his pastor drives by him. Another pastor's school. I want to live for God from there.
is that for you? They start <clears throat> rebelling. You understand something? You can, you have to correct them when they're small. You can't wait till they become teenagers and they grow up. And then, okay, now I'm gonna try to do something to change them. You got to be working with them, disciplining them, correcting them from from a baby on up. You're wasting your time if you're trying to straighten it out now. You got to fight from day one. As long as you have. This one just did on this one. She's good. Well, all right. It's good for us to be here today. And we can talk about what's going to happen to them outside of that. Well, what about us? What about me? Well, that's how this issue wasn't up with your sergeant. Sorry, I just preached the word of God to you. You can call me names all you want to. You can put titles on me all you want to. But I have a responsibility to preach the word of God to you. Okay? You can call me whatever. That, that's nothing. Do you understand? These are grown-ups here. He's trying to reach. It's too late. you got to reach them when they're young. you got to reach them when they're small. Verse 15, when the morning rose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, he lingered. Okay. He lingered. He lingered. This procrastination in place. Mm-hmm. If Abraham had not prayed for that man, he'd be dead. Mm-hmm. See what happens to you, and it happens to me. And I pray you don't take this long because when I preach this morning like that, like I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself first. I'm preaching to myself first. I'm being honest with you. Because the more worldly we become, the less honest we become. And the fact that this man, unlike Abraham, Abraham ran, made haste, gave assignments, be quick about making the meal. Unlike Abraham, a man of faith, we got a man here that's sucked down in the world to the point that judgment has been declared on that city and he's still sitting there. The more worldly you are, the less earnest you are. 
you know, and, you know people come to you, come on, man, judgment's fixing to come. Let's move, let's move, let's move. Point being today, without me coming across like judge, jury, prosecutor, you know, prosecuting attorney, judge, jury, executioner, without me coming across that way today, if we get honest with ourselves and ask the question, how earnest am I today? Am I still earnest about God? Or have I become so worldly? That my worldliness has caused me to lose my consciousness. He lost his earnest. He declared a message of judgment, but he lingers. And the Bible says the men, the angels, laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him. They really had to drag this man out of the side of the barn because of the mercy of God. I thank God, don't you? God, when we have become, in, in some cases, and I say we, we have become like Lot, so worldly we're no longer earnest. That the Lord will, by His mercy and grace, will send things to myself and to you. Troubles, problems, maybe angels working on you. Because left to yourself and left to myself, we burn up with the rest of us. But sometimes God says, no, but by the mercy of God, I'm going to get you and I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to send this trouble to you so you'll move out of this situation to this one, okay? Hallelujah. I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone. I'm going to get you out of your passivity. I'm going to get you out of your procrastination. I'm going to get you out of your philosophy. I'm going to get you out of your unreality. I'm going to get you out of that. I'm going to shake you. Hallelujah. I thank God. Sometimes I don't understand. But when I look back at it, I said, Lord, that was you getting me out of my comfort zone. You allowed that trouble to come. You sent angels to work on me. To work, are you with me here? To work, not just on me, but on my wife. And to work on my two daughters. And give God praise for that. But if you could just sit there. Spiritually speaking. Not because you're sitting in the church. I like you sitting in the church. But spiritually speaking. Woe to them that are easy in silence judgment upon you. Spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, if you can just sit there, spiritually speaking, I want you to stay there. If you can linger spiritually, it's because you're worried. If I can linger, if I can, if I can be comfortable in a city that judgment is fixing to fall upon Gotta come out of Babylon. By the grace of God. Are y'all thankful for the grace of God? Are you thankful that God came to your little world? <laughs> maybe, maybe in He sent a red horse rider to your world to take peace from your earth. Will you turn to 
Jesus. Thank God for those writers that come to me that they teach from my earth. They cause me to get a revelation of Jesus. They cause that obese nature to be defeated so I can get a revelation of Jesus. Y'all say it again. It's the book of Revelation not just it's not about big animals, big big ladybugs as big as cars. It's about getting a revelation of Jesus. It's about things that are being removed that hinder his appearing in your life. So he'll send a red horse rider to take peace from your earth so you can get a revelation of Jesus. He'll send famine and pestilences to a world so a world can get a revelation of Jesus. When he comes by his mercy and grace to take peace from my earth, thank you, Lord, if I get a revelation of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Give God praise for it. He's moving me out of my comfort zone. He's... I need a revelation of Jesus. The judgment's coming. I'm concerned about my own life. I see it. I've seen it more than one occasion. People sitting in this church. You can believe it. People sitting in this church. You call them blessed and prideful. And come sit in the pew and look at the preacher like there's something wrong with it was full of flesh and pride and world. No, you can you can blame, you can point a finger at the pastor in the church and everything else. But I promise you, as long as I'm preaching this word, as long as I'm preaching the Bible, I've not done anything wrong. I'm doing what's right. Hallelujah. I'm concerned about myself. I'm concerned about you. Thank God for the trouble he sees. Thank God for the angels he sends to work on me. Thank God when I can't sleep at night. Lord, I wish I could sleep. Thank God I can't. You ever seen me in my life? You know, some news comes to me, because I love y'all that much. Some news comes to me or some philosophy that you're talking about or whatever. Yes, I get on fire, man. I feel like I'm preaching in my house. How can they think like that? How can they be like that? I don't just preach here. I preach at home. You guys know that. Thank God for the truth. Lord, send the angels to work on us. Do you understand the severity of it right now? I mean, you know, we're comfortable, aren't we? Until we sit in church for an hour and a half. What are you doing in heaven? What do you think you're going to do in heaven, man? That's what happens to us. The world, the world gets us. We just, we just get so. No need anymore. No need anymore. 
So he, by the grace of God, they drug him out, locked go in here. Verse 17 came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Now he said, Now what did these angels said? They're bringing him out. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. That's all that was saved. Only four. And there's probably ten in his family. The other six were here. And they tell him, all right, getting you out of here, but you can't continue to linger. You can't continue to procrastinate. In fact, when you get out of here, you got to be so focused on getting out of here, you don't have time to look back. Because if you look back, when that fire and brimstone's coming down on Sodom, if you look back, it's going to overcome you. I mean, it's like, it's right there. Don't look back, because it's right there. Are you understanding? So if, they, if there's any delay here, once they get moving, any delay, it's just enough for the fires to overcome. Whew, man. And so the Bible tells us they're moving out, and what happens? They got Sodom and his two daughters and his wife. I told you earlier, he lost his wife. He lost his son-in-law, lost his wife. The Bible says when they went out, she looked back. And the Bible says she became a pillar of salt. See, just that little bit of hesitation, church, in a time of judgment, just that little bit of hesitation was enough for the flames, the fire and brimstone, to overtake that woman. And she became a pillar of salt. And Josephus, he writes a book, Josephus, I've read, uh, you know, some things in Josephus. There's a, a pillar over in that area, the Dead Sea area, and it, it, and they call it literally Lot's wife. Looks like a human being standing there. She turned into a pillar of salt, literally. In the 17th chapter of the book of Luke, God gives this as a warning to the end time church. In 17 verse 28, Likewise also, as it was in the day of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 32, Luke 17, 32. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall forgive it. Remember Lot's wife. A message to the last day church. Don't look back. It's going to get tough. I'm going to say it again. It's going to get tough. And you're going to want to save your life because it's going to, it's going to get tough. I promise you. It already is. And when it gets tough, you're going to want to save yourself. Amen? 
Jesus says, if you've got to save your life, you're going to lose your life. If you lose your life, you won't save it. So when it gets tough, don't try to save yourself. Don't look back. Because remember, that's life. That little bit of hesitation, that little bit of delay between that caused his judgment. Amen. Yeah, Pastor, we've heard these years and years, these Bible stories. They're real because Jesus takes them and applies them to the last days. Remember the lost wife. That tells you know what that tells me? That there'll be a, a spirit that will sweep upon the church in the last days, which is a spirit that will cause you to want to look back. That means the situation is so tough. There's something going on. Would you would you admit by the word of God? There's something going on, so much pressure that you would be tempted to turn back. He said, Don't do it. Don't try to save yourself. You keep moving. The judgment of God is creeping at your heels. Right? Now, if we all get to heaven, if every one of us make it to heaven, then that I think when we get there, someday you're going to walk up to me and say, thank you, Pastor, for preaching the truth to me. Okay? You might get mad at me right now. You might be frustrated with what I'm saying. You might think the service is too long. But someday when you get in heaven, you're going to say, thank you, Pastor. And I want to be, I hope I'm there with you. I hope when you're looking that you, you can find me. You know? There's going to be so much pressure, so much tension in the last days. The Bible says right there, the Antichrist, you know, he's going to wear out the saints. Jesus said if it would be possible, even the very elect would be deceived. That's what it's going to be like in the last days. Look at the Lord saying, I'm not going to be like Lot's wife. Not looking back. You all right? If you were honest, how many of them look at people in the world? You know, on a Sunday, they're taking a little Sunday down. It doesn't look like they have a care in the world. You know what I mean? They're fighting spirits, demons, hell, everything. You see a flesh, everything else. And here they are in their little Sunday drive. And you look at them and say, Man, that's amazing. Man, they can fight all the time. You can't fight the good fight of faith. You say, Listen, not a care in the world. Just go, go to work, collect your check, be blameless. Turn your mind off. Don't worry about anything. Don't care about anything. Just your little son of God. No, no, no. In the kingdom of God, man, you got to fight every day. You got to overcome every day. You get tired. You get weary at times. Amen. If you be honest, you know what I'm talking about. They said, they don't have, they could care less, Dad. Just that they'll have a clue. 
but careless. All they do is get zipped and go to work, collect the check, pay the bills, eat, you know, party. But here you are. You got to live that disciplined life, you know. Just fight the good fight of God. Stay brave, fast, and go to church, and obey. And don't live that. I want to save my life. I don't like dying. Okay? I'm going to tell you right now. I don't want to go to Gambia. Andreas? I don't want to go. It's not a field trip that I'm looking forward to. Okay? I'm depressed almost every day. Okay? I, I, it, but it is a necessity that I know. The kingdom of God. He went all the way for me. But I just want you to know, then when you start doing the will of God, man, that Sunday drive, no responsibility looks good. I'm just being honest with you. It's not easy sometimes to do the will of God. But any of you think, man, Pastor, he's going on a trip. He's going to Zambia. I wish I'd go with him to Zambia. Well, come get my tickets. Hallelujah. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? You want to go? Amen. Well, he's telling me about a missionary, would he? The white field brother. South America. He apostolicized. Uh, he, and I know this young man, Mitch. He was talking to a missionary. And this missionary told him, apostolic missionary, missionary, you ever aware? Somewhere in South America. God called him to South America, and for the first six months he was there, he cried all day. Well, brother, brother, he's in my friend Mitch. And they said, "Hey, how's it going? How, how was it going to South Africa?" Where they the man of He said, hey, it's wonderful. You know, you ought to go on the mission trip. No, he said, six months. You talk about a temptation that's going to save your life. That man said, see, you need to do the work of God. Yeah. Homesick, crying, didn't want to be there. Oh, I'm, I'm giving you this example so when you start living for God, you start ministering, hurting, and you serve God. Remember that missionary God for six months gave up his life to preach on the Amazons. How did your trip?
walks around. There's something back there, you know, that appealed to her. She, I don't know, Brother Thurman, if it was the sons-in-law that she left behind, maybe other family members that she left behind, and maybe her heart was just back there in song. But whatever, whatever was inside, she longed for. She looked back, and I don't think it was just curiosity. I think her heart was there. She looked back because her heart was there. God tell me, tell her, where's my heart? You understand? Not ever go through things in your life doing the will of God. It, because we, we haven't resisted under the blood. We're not bleeding yet. Not, not yet. There's a resistance. There's a fighting in the good fight of faith, man. There's some times where you're going to hurt and suffer to do God's will. You're going to get lonely. Tears are going to flow. In the will of God. You go out, sister. Woman. In the will of God, man. You know, you could you could just make up your mind right now. I'm gonna save my life. I'm gonna get hooked up with some good looking guy. You could do that, couldn't you? You don't do you? Why don't you? You want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? And not only that, but you want your kids to go to heaven too. Don't you understand? You don't think there's times when this woman's by herself in her house? She's alone. But that temptation comes, save your life. Abandon all of this. There's somebody out there in the world that can do You think that's unfair? You, know, you think it's easy? Forgive me, daughter. I don't mean to do this to you. Do you think it's easy for her to come to church and sit there by herself? Those temptations come to say, I appreciate you, man. You came to me and said, hey, come on, go to sit and go with us. He said, no. And then he told me why he said no. Because all they're going to do when they get there is talk. He said, no. He came to church. He told us the most exciting news of his life. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, by the way, that that doesn't mean you have. I'm going to stop there. Okay? But I'm just telling you, man, it's not easy. If you're looking for an easier way or an easier church, it's a good fight of faith. And, and, and sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Remember Lot's wife? He's attempted to want to save your life. Go to the world, get his phone back. Let your heart get captured. I don't want to backslide from here. I know, I know. See, now, this is church. Are you here? I did not plan on preaching this long. But I'm going to say this to you. The temptation is to backslide. In the last days, I 
And the way the enemy comes to you and he comes to me is this. There's a little bit of lie he'll give you. You can backslide and still go ahead. That's what he's afraid of. Because I promise you, if he came to you and said, go ahead and backslide and live in the world, but you're going to die and go to hell, you're probably not going to do that, right? But if he can deceive you into thinking, you can go ahead and backslide and still make it to heaven, that's why people backslide. That's why there's people right now that are no longer in the church. But I, if you ask them, are you dying and going to hell? Some of them will be honest and say yes. Some of them won't. They'll say, no, I'm going to heaven. I'm still saved. Wow. Remember Lot's life. Don't turn back. Because his life came upon him as well. There has to be an earnestness. Made up mind. You know what I mean? Or the world And so they told him, told him not to look back, escape to the mountain lest thou be consumed. You know what the Lord you know what Lot's response to that is? Now, I don't I just I'm having a hard time with this fellow. Okay? He had to drug out of the city. You know, his wife and his family's barely brought out of the city, told not to look back. He's told to go to a mountain, and he looks at him and he says, Not so, my Lord. You know, look at this. Oh, not so, my Lord. You can't put those two together. You can't say, Not so, my Lord. It's either not so, or it's my Lord. That means yes. But he said, not so, my Lord. You know? Go to the mountain? No. And Lot said unto them, not, oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I shall die so he's coming up with all these excuses he says no if I try to get to the mountain I won't make it because that judgment's going to get a, get me if I have to go to the mountain so let me go over to this little tiny place called Zoar let me go to this city right you talk about the mercy and grace of God I think at this point I, I just just forget it I mean, I would just be done with this fellow. But the mercy and grace of God, you know? Oh, not so, my Lord. I don't want to get to that mountain because if I go to that mountain, you know, I might, the implication is I might get destroyed by this judgment that's coming. Let me go somewhere else. Well, God, the angels, allow him, they agree. Okay, 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 Lord, all right. Have it your way. Yeah, I am. Go ahead, go to Zoar. Don't go to the mountain. All right, Lot. But in the end, he will find out the direction they gave him was the right one because he will leave Zoar and go to the mountain. But he has to learn the hard way. <laughs> See, sometimes God will come to you and you want it so bad. You want it this way so bad. And sometimes God will give you what you want. And then later on you say, You know, God, you were right. I was. Are y'all here with me? 
How many of you just want it your way sometimes? Even with God. Not so, my Lord. Okay, go ahead. And that's what happened. He got the okay. He got the agreement. He could go not to the mountain. Okay, watch what happens. Verse 20, now, behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it's a little one. What Zohar means, tiny one, the little one. It's a little one in comparison to Sodom. It's over, but it's close by Sodom. But it's a little one. Little sin, little practice, false minds. Let me have the little Not the mountain, the little city. Let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. He said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also. I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Hasty, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. The Lord rained fire, rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city and that which grew upon the ground. You with me here? He didn't just overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah, but all those cities and also the plain. That was the plain of Jordan. Deuteronomy 29, and I believe it's 23, somewhere in the compare names of the other cities. Okay. Adma and Zeboim were two cities that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah and also the plain. Now remember Lot, he looked at the well-watered plains of Jordan and he wanted that. The Bible says God consumed all of that. Plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, all that. Like that. Just like that. Liquid fire comes down. Destroys everybody there, all the buildings, all the vegetation there, everything. Okay? Including the plain. Today, the Dead Sea covers this. Sodom and Gomorrah is at the bottom of the Dead Sea. It was never built again. And it's an example of the vengeance of God coming upon the ungodly in the last days. Verse 26, But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham, Remember, he's the one interceding for the Lord. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain he beheld. And lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. See, the man of God, the intercessor, gets to see, gets to witness the destruction and the judgment of the wicked, but it did not come nigh their death. You and I may get to see the destruction of the wicked, but it won't come now and go. Abraham got to see it. He saw it from a distance, about 4,000. Elevation where Abraham stood to the Sodom and Gomorrah is about a 4,000 feet increase. He looked and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. He's above it. Furnace smoke going up like a furnace of fire.
already read that verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in the cave, he and his two daughters. See, too close to comfort. <laughs> he moved over there to Zoar, it was near Sodom, too close to destruction. He could not stay in that place and look over at the judgments of God on those other cities in the plain and be comfortable and live peaceful. But just like the angels told him before to get to the mountain, he talked to them into going to the Zohar. He says, I got to get out of Zohar and go to the mountain. God knows what he's talking about. There's some places you may talk God into being at, and God will allow you to be at, but it's too close to destruction for you to release. He left that city and went up into the mountain. And remember, the man that was wealthy, the herds, multitude of herds, tremendous wealth. His house was burned up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of his family members died, burned up in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. He lost his wife to Sodom and Gomorrah. He lost all that he had. And to hold on to the world. He leaves Zoar, the little tiny town, and he goes up there and he lives in a cave. That's takes his two daughters with him up into that cave. The Bible tells us. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, which was not true. He's not old. And there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. And that's also not so. Lot is not old, and there are men that are still on planet earth that can they could be married to and have children by. That you see, watch this. Excuses to cover up what they're about to do. Okay? Say, Daddy's old and there's no men to come unto us after the manner of all the earth. Both of those statements are a lie. So they're real comfortable in lying. Okay, so what you're going to see here is ultimately, <clears throat> even though his two daughters were spared, Okay, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he still lost them to the world because they adapted the morality of Sodom. They had no problem lying, number one, and then they commit incest with their own daddy. They adopted the morality or the immorality of Sodom. And the older daughter looked at the younger daughter and talked her into having this relationship with their father. So verse 32, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. So, again, drinking leads to incest. Now, forgive me, but I feel the Holy Ghost here. There are young women in this church, and not just young women in the church, but older women in this church that were violated by family members. When those family members were drunk. Okay? And so what we have is incest 
follows drinking. And the Bible says they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. It came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father, that's the older sister, lest I make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. They made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger all arose and lay with him, and he preserves not, received not, when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both of the daughters of Lot with child by their father. They were saved from physical destruction, but not from the immoral lifestyle of Sodom. They lost them. They lied and committed incest with their father. And their older daughter is the one that talked the younger daughter into doing it. Verse 37, the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son and called his name ben which is the same as the father of children of Ammon unto this day. This is modern day Jordan. This man is a picture of a person that's saved but is so worldly and so carnal that he did not by his life spare anybody in the city that he lived in, Sodom. And because of his lifestyle, not only was a city not spared, but his whole family was not spared. Either from the judgment or the lifestyle of Sodom. He is an example to all of us that we should not live this way because we will pay a price if we try to live as a Christian and in the world at the same time. There will be a price that will be paid. I don't want to lose my children. I don't lose my life. I mean, one brother told me not long ago. He said, Why would I want to go to heaven when my children are here? I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Don't mistake me, but what would heaven be like if none of my children were there? What would heaven be like if my wife wasn't there? But my lifestyle was such that None of them were spared. What, what would heaven be like if, if I, as your pastor, was such a compromiser that none of you made it? But somehow, I don't know how, but somehow I did. What would heaven be like? If nobody in your family and nobody in your city was spared, as a result of your walk with God, and you make it to heaven, what would heaven be Maybe at the beginning, when you get to heaven, 
there will be something that is worse than hell coming to a close. What could be worse than hell? It's not until you get to the end of the book of Revelation that the Bible says that all tears will be wiped away from the eyes of the dead. There will be tears in heaven. Something worse, possibly than dying and going to hell, is going to heaven in the first period of time that you're there before God wipes all tears from your eyes. Is to look around and to come to the realization that nobody is in heaven after the death of your life. That your family, your children, nobody you live around in your city, nobody's going to be in heaven as your death. Thankfully, there will come a time when. God will remove that memory from you and wipe all tears from your eyes. But at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be loss. Not just reward, but loss. I end it again by saying something worse than dying to go to hell is to be naked to heaven and be naked. Nobody you no family member, nobody who has no influence in your life because somebody else can do it. Somebody else can find it and bring it to you. I don't know if Lot's wife went to heaven or not. I know she was dead. Lost lost children if they went to heaven or not. I don't think so. If Lot went to heaven, if you could hear Lot preach this morning, church, if he if he could be the one that stood behind this pulpit this morning and preached this message to you, every one of us in this church would be on our face. Possible for you and I to lose our children, our spouses, and to spare nobody that's around us. When I go to heaven, I don't just go to heaven by myself. I want to take some people with me. Anybody here today can want to take some people with you. You do, let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you. This morning, Lord, I thank you for your word today. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, your Spirit, Jesus, will take this word and use this word, God, to talk to us, to convict us. Lord, teach us, show us that the judgment of God is certain that it's going to come. Use it to teach us, Lord. We need to be people who will not look back. 
people who will continue to serve you, people, Lord, that will influence others, our family first. And then our 